You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reading of your word. And Father, we do require your grace should we profit from this from this uh, passage that we've come to this morning. And we ask, Father, that you would be pleased to bless us and uh, meet us all in our respective places, Father, and open our hearts to receive this word and to truly understand it and to implement it. Uh, give us grace that not only would we arrive at an understanding of it, but that, Father, uh, in the course of things here, Father, we would see it illustrated, that we would see it uh, very tangibly, and that, Father, you would, uh, you would bring us to enjoy it in our lives. So in short, Father, we ask that you would change us by way of your word, working through your Holy Spirit this morning. Um, put us in the mold, O Lord, as we said in an earlier message. Uh, put us in that mold and shape us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. We really come to a, an extraordinary chapter in God's word. And as I said last week, at least I think I said it here last week. I know I said it other places last week that this is uh, Romans 8 is a, 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 for a lot of folks, their favorite chapter of the entire Bible. And as we continue to study through it, we're going to we're going to see why over and over and over again. And in fact, John Owen, some of you will be familiar with his name, and some of you are becoming familiar with his writings. Um, he, wrote, he wrote pretty extensively on Romans 8, and two of his popular books are based on passages from Romans 8. In fact, uh, these, these folks would, would write entire books on one verse of the Bible, and uh, perhaps his most famous work at least one of his most famous works on the mortification of sin is written on Romans 8.13, basically. It's an exposition and illustration and an application of one verse in the Bible, which is incredible. And that though that book was written 400 years ago, um, it's still pretty much the standard text on that particular subject. So um, another book that Owen wrote and... He wrote this book on Romans 8, 6. It's entitled Spiritual Mindfulness. Spiritual Mindfulness. And in preparation for this morning's message, I spent a lot of time in that book. And uh, uh, as I've shared with you before, Owen is a diff reading John Owen is a difficult task. And those of you who have done it, I hear a couple heads already smiling going, uh-huh. But I think you also agree that... This author takes you places where no, very few authors can take you. Um, he just takes you places where very few people can, can take you. So it's, it's worth the work 
Um, Ecclesiastes 12.12 says of making many books, there's no end. And today I think there seems like there's a book coming out probably about once a minute. I mean, there's been such a proliferation of books and writings, especially since self-publishing has become available and so easy and popular. Uh, You really, I mean, you can't possibly read all of these books. Uh, You know, I know for myself, I I have relatively few hours to read. And because of this, I choose not to read a lot of material. There's an old Italian saying that says there's no worse thief than a bad book. Has anybody heard that one before? There's no worse thief than a bad book. Um, Well, John Owen is no thief. (laughs) Um, I I say this because you, you won't. He's no it's hard work to read him. But uh, he never wrote for the masses. He wrote for people who were very serious about their faith. And he wrote as a person who was very serious about faith. And this morning, I, I really want to, in the course of this message, sprinkle in some of the insights, really just a very smidget of the insights that I've gained from spiritual mindedness, his work, spiritual mindedness. And in fact, in the preface of his book, he writes this. He says, quote, the thoughts here communicated, that is the thoughts that are communicated in his book. The thoughts here communicated were originally private meditations for my own use. And I find this to be really interesting. He says it's in a season wherein I was every way unable to do anything for the edification of others. I think that's quite interesting that in his own personal estimation, he was in a season in a spot for some reason. I poked around a little bit as I had time on the internet to try to figure out what was the particular trial Owen was going through. He went through many, but what was the particular trial he was going through? I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know is in his estimation, he found himself in a season where he didn't feel like he could offer anyone anything. And uh, he continues, he says, I was every way unable to do anything for the edification of others and far from expectation that I ever should so be able anymore in this world. So that's really down in a valley, isn't it? Um, That's really down in a valley. He goes on to say, receiving as I thought some benefit and satisfaction in the exercise of my own meditations therein, when God was graciously pleased to restore a little strength unto me, I insisted on the same subject in the instruction of a private congregation. Uh, Owen states is what he's basically saying there is he found grace. In his estimation, he 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 found he 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 just in his own estimation is I'm just I I don't have anything to offer anyone, and um, he he began to pour himself into God's word prayerfully, undoubtedly, and God gave him some grace, and the grace that he received, he desired to share uh, with his congregation and to put into writing. He states his motivation for writing and preaching these truths. He he writes, quote, I acknowledge that these are the two things whereby I regulate my work in the whole course of my ministry to impart those truths of whose power I hope I have in some measure a real experience and to press those duties which present occasion, which present occasions, temptations and other circumstances do render necessary to be attended Onto in a peculiar manner. Again, I'm giving you a taste of kind of how difficult it is to sort some of this out. But he's saying he has two real reasons here for trying to for writing these things. One is to impart the truth of the word of God and two to press that truth upon uh, the hearts of the people of God. 
And I'm pointing this out to you because every Lord's Day, this morning, uh, Alex wasn't with us, but every Lord's Day, generally speaking, 99.99% of them, Alex always prays for me in a particular way. And I've shared this with you before. He always prays that I would hear my own message. And um, I love that. I actually love that. But uh, generally speaking, as I am pouring myself over the word of God through the week, oh, I'm getting my message. Believe me, it's um, it's it's um, I'm getting it just a little bit ahead of everybody else, but I'm getting it. And uh, some of you who, you know, we have a couple of us that are, uh, you know, reading and, and starting to teach a little bit. And you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but. Um, um, Owen wouldn't preach a message that he didn't have a living experience with. Uh, he really had a living experience with this. And, uh, you know, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, we learned that our gracious Lord gave his church pastors and teachers to equip us for the work of the ministry to build us up in every way. And Owen is a tried and proven gift to the church. And uh, so, yes, he's worth a struggle. As we go along, I'll point, uh, I want to point out a couple of insights that I think will be really profitable for us. Before we go any further, let me explain the text a little bit. If you look at verse 5, you'll see that our text describes two different types of individuals in verse 5. Verse 5 says, those who live according to the flesh uh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. And then there's a, a, another set of individuals, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Uh, before we go any further, I think it's important that we consider what is meant by the words flesh and the word spirit. Does that make sense? So what is meant by flesh? Uh, Paul clarifies this if you look at verse 7. He says the mind that is set on the flesh is what? It's hostile towards God. So the flesh represents anything and everything that would describe fallen, human, fallen humanity's rebellion against God. Does that make sense? I mean, everything in all of its <clears throat> in all of its expressions. Human pride, self-worship, disobedience, worldliness. Luther described it as our fallen egocentric human nature. That grabs it, doesn't it? Our fallen egocentric human nature yeah. is the flesh. Now, by spirit, Paul means the Holy Spirit, of course. The Holy Spirit's in view in Romans 8, all over the place. The, the Holy Spirit is all over Romans chapter 8. And uh, we, we also want to be sure we understand that Paul is speaking about the operations of the work of the Holy Spirit in this text as well. If you turn forward just a little bit to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, there's a passage, I think, that helps us with this. Some of you will be familiar with it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. You know, having just read these chapters in our, in our worship service as well, it'll be review. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, you see where Paul says the natural person? You see that? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly or foolishness, if you will, to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are what? There's this little phrase, they're spiritually discerned. Now, the natural person in this text would be the person who lives according to the flesh. You know, it's a person who still, if we, if we want to go back into what we've studied in Paul, we'd be the person who's still in union with Adam. His, his marriage with Adam has not been severed yet. He or she is still 
in union with Adam. Uh, that would be the natural person. And we're told that he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, why? Uh, because the things of the Spirit of God are, are foolishness. You know, they're foolishness. And if you're active in sharing your faith, you, you've undoubtedly encountered this, where you've, you know, you've, you know, I remember one time I was talking to a friend and <laughs> I started to tell him about the Garden of Eden. And, you know, I started saying, well, there was a snake that come in the garden, slither in the garden. And he started talking to Adam and, and I could tell, you know, he's a big science guy and he's a science channel, discovery channel kind of guy. And he, he's like, you mean it's a, what? A snake started talking. I'm like, what, what are you, you know? It's just absolute foolishness to him. And I thought as I was doing it, the cat was already out of the bag and I wished I'd taken a different course, but I was already committed to uh, Genesis 3 and it was a complete disaster. Um, but my point is, um, it, these truths are, are spiritually discerned. I mean, um, our, our world of science and culture of science today looks at these kinds of things and says this is... Uh, this is not possible. This is nothing but foolishness. Um, so they cannot accept these things. So those who live according to the Spirit, they have to be true believers in possession of the Holy Spirit. Um, they have to be. Um, you know, the, the, the unbeliever cannot walk in accordance with the Holy Spirit. Simply cannot do that. And before we go any further, there's two truths here that I want to point out to you. Um, the first one is what I just said. Only, um, only true believers can be spiritually mindful. Um, it's not possible for us as a natural person to be spiritually mindful. Uh, we can't do it. Um, an unbeliever can have a semblance of spiritual mindedness. He or she can have experiences that seem to be spiritual mindedness. And we're going to look at an example from Scripture here in a few minutes where it appears as such, but it's an impossibility for an unbeliever to be spiritually mindful. Um, and, you know, here's a grave warning, you know. And before I get to the grave warning, let me clarify what I'm saying, because as I'm hearing my own voice, I'm listening to my own message, Alex. I'm listening to my own message. And as I hear my own voice, I want to make sure that no one thinks... Well, you know, okay, or no one listening to this message would think what I'm saying is that as unbelievers, we're incapable of doing anything good. Uh, that's certainly, that's just certainly not true. Um, some of us will have friends who aren't believers and uh, we'll have neighbors who aren't believers. And if we want to measure them by a worldly standard, by, a, by an earthly standard, would probably be a better way. They're great folks, aren't they? And if you're watching any of the news, um, concerning the situation down in Texas. I mean, people are grabbing everything that floats and they're running around helping people. And some people have given their lives to try to rescue others. And I don't, I, I wouldn't say that the only ones who gave their lives for others are believers in Jesus Christ. That's not true. People every day risk their lives. People who are not in Christ every day risk their lives to save others. Um, common grace explains that. God's common grace explains that. So I want to make sure everyone realizes that I'm not saying that an unbeliever can't do anything good. But what I am saying, and, and I want to be very clear, is an unbeliever is incapable of being spiritual, spiritually mindful with a capital S, um, meaning the Holy Spirit. Got that? Is that okay? 
I'm looking for facial expressions, and when I see one that suggests we're not good, we're going to stay right where we are until we got that settled. Because if we don't get that settled, we're going to be in a mess here in just a few minutes. Um, here's a grave warning. I mean, the unbeliever, um, and this is, the, I, I want to continue to press this because I think we live in a day where this is hard for us. It's hard for us. I mean, let's, let's just think of a hypothetical for a moment. Um, an unbeliever, someone who is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ very actively, rushes into a, a burning building to save someone and is lost in that effort. Where, where will they go for all eternity? Our culture and everything that we hear wants to say, oh, for that great act, they're definitely headed to heaven. I'm talking about someone who's actively um, rejecting Christ. And, you know, when we put these hypotheticals before us, we realize, man, this idea of condemnation I was talking about last week, I don't think we believe it. I really don't think we believe it. And I think that's why we're so lackadaisical about sharing the, the truth. Oh, surely for that great work, God would look at that great work and he'd accept that great work and he would welcome into his kingdom. Really? Is that what Paul's been teaching us? There's only one way into the kingdom of God and that way is through what? It's through faith. It's through faith. And when we put these hypotheticals out there in these certain ways, I think we discover, wow, we got some work to do in terms of believing our Bibles, don't we? Um, we've got some work to do. If the unbeliever remains fleshly minded, what does Paul say? Look at verse six. To set the mind on the flesh is what? What's it say? It's death. It's death. It's death. So there's a there's a there's a warning. Uh, only a true believer can be spiritually mindful. But secondly, those who are spiritually minded have a measure of fleshly mindedness. And there's people that will stumble in this one, too, and say, what? That's not possible. But wait a second. I mean, if we were perfectly spiritually minded and I haven't explained it, what what spiritual mindfulness is yet. I will in a few minutes, but just reason with what we have right now, if we were perfectly spiritually minded, we would be perfect in every way. Um, and we're not perfect in every way, are we? Our, our minds are set on the flesh um, to some degree. Um, and that's, the, that's just the case on this side of glory. There's always a measure of fleshly mindedness. Owen puts it this way. Here's a quote from John Owen. Quote, as unto the qualities expressed by the flesh and the spirit, there may be a mixture. You hear the word mixture there. There may be a mixture of them in the same person at the same time. There is so in all that are regenerate. In other words, all who are truly spiritually mindful, those who are in possession of the Holy Spirit, which we'll look at Lord willing next week. But all of those who are truly converted to Christ, there is a mixture in them. The flesh, he quotes Galatians 5, 17, which says the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. So he continues, he says, thus different contrary actings in the same subject constitute no distinct states, but where either of them is predominant or hath prevalent rule in the soul, there it makes the different state. Now, what does all that mean? Um, all that means is the believer has a mixture of spiritual mindfulness and fleshly mindfulness. But here's the thing you need to remember, and it's important that you remember this. The spiritual mindfulness will be predominant in the believer. 
not necessarily at any particular season, because a true believer can actually backslide, can't they? And when that backslidden condition takes place, what do you suppose is prevailing in their minds and hearts at that season, at that particular time? It's going to be fleshly mindfulness. Now, that's a dangerous place to be in. You know, let's not think that, well, you know, he's a, you know, I mean, uh, you know, he's a, uh, he's a believer, and if he's a believer, God will see him his way. He's off to the left a little bit, but he'll come around. That's a dangerous position because at the end of the day, how do we know if he's a true believer or not? He's off to the left. How do we know he's not a false professor? We're going to look at this here in a few minutes. So you see how important this is? This this whole idea here is just of grave importance, grave importance. The heart of the believer um, is... You know, the spiritual mindfulness is going to be prevailing in the heart of a believer. Now, let me let me explain what it means to live according to the flesh and according to the spirit. That's what I want to spend a few minutes doing here. Uh, let's let's take a look and see if we can explain this. Um, I think perhaps when we think about living according to the flesh, the first thing that might come to our minds is, well, that has to be someone who's living fast and loose in sin. You know, that would be someone who's living fast and loose in the way of the world. And, and um, that uh, that certainly would be correct. I mean, that person would be fleshly minded. Those of us who've been converted in adulthood can point to a time in our lives where that would have described us. Maybe we weren't people who were living in, in, in disgraceful and open sin. We might have been of the, of the sort that was uh, just living in respectable sins, if I might borrow a phrase from Jerry Bridges. But um, nevertheless, we're, we're, our minds are set on the flesh, set on the world, set on the things of the world, the ways of the world, the priorities of the world, the attitudes of the world, the, the, the things that the world values were the things that, that we value. Um, yes, that, all of that would be in view, but I, I, you know, it's easy for us. I, I think it would be quite easy for us to say, yeah, that's those guys. You know, they're, they're those guys out there, and they're the ones that, uh, they're the fleshly minded and... Uh, it's good that we're not those guys. And um, yeah, that's really, that's great. Let's get on to the spiritual mindfulness stuff. And wait a second, not so fast. Um, for this point, I'm not talking about anybody outside of the four walls of the church. Let's start with ourselves, okay? Let's start with, with us here. Um, we, can, we can be an active church-going person who on the outside appears to be living very much so according to the Spirit and yet be living according to the flesh. Um, That is very possible and it actually is very common. It's very common. And I think it's interesting when you read books that are written in the 1600s, you know, as I spent a lot of time this week reading Owen, you know, sometimes you can think of the maybe the Puritan era or some of these other eras where, man, everybody was real religious, you know. And everybody was much more so than they are today. But was everybody truly converted? Was everybody truly in the faith? Owen complains that the answer is no. Um, he complains that many people in the church in his day uh, were really fleshly minded and not spiritually minded. So it's in some respects, it's always been this way. But I want to turn your attention to a story some of you will be familiar with in Acts chapter 8. You don't need to turn there. But the story is about a certain magician named Simon. Are we familiar with Simon the magician? 
You know, Simon the Magician was this guy that dazzled everybody with these magic tricks, you know. And he wanted to be somebody great, you know. He wanted to be a great man. And, and he was viewed as a great man. And everybody said, boy, this is just somebody great. And, and uh, along comes Philip, you know. Simon is in Samaria. And Philip, Philip comes to Samaria and he preaches the gospel. And, and uh, old Simon, the magician, you know, he hears the gospel and he believes. And um, a lot of people are baptized. I presume Philip and his associates, if he had some associates with him, probably did. Uh, they begin to baptize. And Simon, we're told in Scripture, is baptized. You know, Simon, he's a, he's a, he's a changed man. That's Simon, the magician. He's, he's a, you know, he's a, um, old Simon is a church-going guy now, you know. And uh, word of this gets back to Jerusalem, back to the apostles and, and uh, the apostles, you know, Peter and John, they figure, let's go down and check this out. And when Peter and John show up, they pray for these believers. They pray that they'll receive the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 8 and verse 18 and 19 says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Simon's wheels are turning, baby. He sees this man. They lay their hands on uh, Peter and John. Lay their hands on these people, and they get they get they get the Holy Spirit, and and, and um, they see these changes. And Simon is like, man, he's boy. If I could get, I'll tell you what. He wants to make an investment right here on the spot. If I can buy this power, I can take this show on the road, and oh my goodness, am I gonna be somebody great? And what does Peter? How does Peter respond to him? Verse twenty. Really, verses 20 through 23, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Now, um, I point this to your attention because Simon undoubtedly Without a doubt, he looked like all the other believers on the outside. Would Philip have baptized him if he did? I don't think so. He looked like all of the other believers on the outside. Um, but he was living after the flesh, wasn't he? Simon is alive in the church today and... Um, you know, he's alive in the seminary. I mean, right now, everyone's staring at the preacher. Everybody's listening to the preacher and people can see that and think, man, that'd be cool. You know, everybody'd be staring at me and everybody'd be listening to me. And uh, that'd be great. That'd be cool. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll go to seminary and, um, you know, everybody could be staring at me. And, uh, that, you know, that would be great. And. Because of that, you can sometimes stumble across a Simon or two or three in the seminary. A lot of times they want to be teachers and preachers. And, um, you know, I, I read an article that set my thinking this way. Uh, I think it was earlier this week or maybe last week where a, a, a man was just kind of debriefing of his seminary experience. And he said, you know, it's a place where the ego can really get fed. And I, I, I hadn't really thought about that until I read that article and I thought, boy, you know something. And I, 
I mean, I got a list of things here, you know, that I think he's right. I mean, it can be all about you, you know. It's like, okay, you're going to seminary. You're going to be a preacher. Um, you are preaching. You're going to be preaching here. Everyone come and listen to him. Or you're going to have, you, you know, you have exams coming up. Pray for him. Um, you, you did well on your exams. Praise him. Um, you know, you, you're under the care of the church. Focus on him. You know, you're, you're the guest speaker. You know, uh, get to know him. What's he like? Uh, you're being ordained. Have a party for him. I, I didn't even thought about all of that, you know. And this, pre- and this particular preacher is, is uh, as he is spelling this out, I was thinking, boy, look at all the snares in this. So many snares that you could fall into here. Um, wanting to be somebody great. That was Simon's issue. He wanted to be someone's great. Now, you notice I'm starting on this side of the pulpit. Because I have intentions to go on the other side of the bulbit next. And I think that um, our present occupation with appearance would be a good way to start. I mean, we are intoxicated today with how we appear before other people. What car are we riding in? Now, this is in varying degrees. I'm not saying we're all equally guilty of this. But, oh, I can't be seen in that car. Uh-uh. You know, I can't be seen in that. Or, I gotta have these particular clothes. Why? Well, I can't be seen in those. I don't want to dress like you do. I can, you know, I want these shoes. Why do you want these shoes? Because everyone else has these shoes. I don't want to be with, without these shoes. I mean, I, you know, how we look and how we appear is of grave importance to us. And, Let me say this from the start. The answer to this is not to be a bum. You know, I I mean, I I, want to qualify this right away. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we should go around looking like slobs yelling the mantra, mantra, I don't care what people think, what you see is what you get. If you don't like it, don't look at me. I've seen pastors take that course. It's not pretty. You know, as a pastor, I watch my weight. Why? I don't think I should be standing up here 300 pounds with my belly hanging out. You know, um, I am due for a haircut. I apologize for that. I just been so busy. I'm not, but I'm not going to let it get. Uh, I'm not going to let it get uh, too wild Ben Franklin style up here. You know, I mean, why? Um, because I want people to take me seriously. It's hard to take someone seriously when that's the case. I'm not suggesting we do need to care. What, what we look like. We, knew, we do need to take care of what people think for this reason and for this reason only. We do not want to put an obstacle between them and the Lord. I remember one time a friend of mine preached in the chapel at seminary and it was in a, it was in a, um, it was in a preaching practicum and um, we were all evaluating him. I was still a student at the seminary and we're evaluating him and this poor fellow, I don't know who dressed him that morning, but... Um, he had a tie that didn't match his shirt and a jacket. None of this stuff matched. And it was uh, it was crazy loud. And um, nobody said anything like the following week when we were doing our evaluation. One of the students in the, in the class finally said, listen, man, you had you had stripes on your stripes and they were all running in different directions. And, you, you know, if you're challenged this way, you really need to find someone to help you get dressed when you're going to be up in the pulpit. 
because for them it was so distracting to them they were having trouble listening to his message. So you see, I mean, we we don't, you know, I want to make sure I qualify this. We we do we don't want to just throw our arms up and say, you know what, I hear you, I hear you, Pastor. I, I don't care what I look like. No, 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 no. Let's let's not go there. That's not what I'm talking about here. Um, as sons and daughters of the Father, we do not want to bring shame on the family name. Um, so I'm not talking about that. Um, but but Paul puts it this way. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That sets it right. Is my focus on appearance for the glory of God? I have a sneaking suspicion that too often we need to rewrite Paul's verse to read something like this. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of self. And that hurts, doesn't it? It smarts. It's not God's glory that is to be served. It's our glory. And we can, I can do this right now so easily. Listen, if I am preoccupied uh, with being a, a great speaker, and I'm actually particularly tied to my notes this morning. Have you noticed how much I'm looking at my notes this morning? I don't really care. Um, there's a better sermon on this paper than there is in my head, so I'm looking at the paper because I want to give you the better sermon because my memory just isn't up to snuff this morning. So that's the way it is. But if I get all preoccupied with that, you know, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see Rick Anderson, and I don't want you to see Rick Anderson. I want you to see Jesus because I can't simultaneously exalt myself and exalt Jesus at the same time. I can only exalt one or the other. There's a wonderful story in the ministry of John the Baptist that speaks about this. You know, John the Baptist was called by God to be the forerunner for Jesus. And he goes out into the desert and he begins to preach this baptism of repentance and all these people begin to flood out to his ministry and he's out there baptizing and baptizing and baptizing. It's kind of why they call him John the Baptist. You know, he's always baptizing. And then finally Jesus shows up and he baptized Jesus. Okay, John's work is now starting to come to an end, isn't it? And now everybody starts to run to Jesus. And John's disciples, they're like, hey, hey, John, um, uh, Rabbi, um, they're all running to him. That one you baptized, they're all running to him. And how does John react to that? He has a saying that is, it should be memorized and it should be, we should, especially those of us who teach and preach, we should all have this in our heads. John says, listen, I need to decrease and he needs to increase. <clears throat> And it isn't just preachers that need to say that. I mean, when our minds are occupied with I must increase, our minds are set on the flesh. They're set solidly on the flesh when we say I must increase. We're fleshly minded. We're seeking our own glory. And that has to be one of the principal reasons the church is diminishing in the United States is because we are consumed with our own glory, aren't we? If we're honest with ourselves in varying measures, not all of us are equally guilty of this. I'm not saying that it's in, in varying degrees. And it's happening so much that we literally eclipse our Lord. 
I could summarize everything I said this way. Uh, to, li- uh, to be fleshly minded is to live as if the world, all that we see, hear, and touch, is the all and everything uh, is to live according to the flesh. Let me read that again. To live as if the world, all that we can see, hear, and touch, to live as though that is everything, is to live according to the flesh. Um, this is the easiest part of the message. It's easy to describe problems and and do all that. Okay, let's go to the other. What does it look like to um, set our minds on the spirit? What's that? That's much more difficult. Um, um, here's a here's a crack at it. The mind that is set on the spirit joins with the work of the spirit and that he or she desires to do what the spirit does, namely exalt Jesus. It's a little bit of a mouthful. Let me read it again. The mind that is set on the Holy Spirit joins with what the Holy Spirit does and that he or she desires to do what the Holy Spirit does. What is it that the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. He exalts Jesus. We have a tendency to think of the Holy Spirit, I think, in, in, in ways that are all about us. I mean, we think about the Holy Spirit. He applies salvation to us, right? He opens our hearts. He gives us new hearts. He gives us new minds. He gives us insights. He, he does all these things. He sanctifies us. This is all very, very true. But I would submit to you his primary function is not any of that. His primary function is to exalt Jesus. Because he does all that by exalting Jesus. If you think about it, what does the Holy Spirit do as he applies salvation to us? He convicts us of sin, right? How does he convict us of sin? One glimpse of the holiness of God will convict you of your sin very quick like. One little glimpse of... Just a sense of the presence of God that puts you in awe will quickly reveal your sin. So you see, he exalts the Father, exalts him in his, in his uh, uh, sovereignty and in his power and his compassion and mercy and love. Uh, uh, he also, you know, once he convicts us of our sin, what's he do? Well, he wants to, he wants to apply salvation to us. Now, how does he do that? He exalts the beauty of Jesus. We get convicted of our sin. A person can get convicted of their sin and not come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit still has to con- convince us that Jesus is there. He's available, that his, he's merciful. He will receive us if we come to him. So you see, the Holy Spirit's work is to exalt Jesus, to show, to show us how beautiful Jesus is, to show us his mercy, to show us his love. And I pray that that will be happening right now. I've prayed that that would happen as I said this some words that that Jesus is somehow getting bigger to us right now. That the Father is getting bigger to us right now. That um, you're not hearing my voice, you're hearing his. That's my prayer. That his beauty will come increasingly in focus. That his love and compassion will come increasingly in focus. That his healing will be increasingly realized. In short, I pray that the Holy Spirit will exalt the Father and the Son in our hearts. And if we look at Jesus, what is he all about? We think about the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit on about? He's on about exalting the Father. He's on about exalting the Son. Well, what's the Son on about? What's Jesus on about? It's interesting. You know, he's on about the same thing. 
They're always in cahoots. He's all about the same thing. During his earthly ministry, Jesus was all about the Father. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 4, 34. Jesus said in John 5, 30, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Uh, John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And uh, John 6, 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Anybody here familiar with the, the show Person of Interest? Do we have anybody that knows that show? We got a couple people. I think it was in I think it ran for four seasons, right? Is there four seasons? I think. In the third season, if my memory serves me correctly, a character was introduced to the program named Root. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? It was a woman. And the whole show is about this man, this genius that produces this computer that's able to tap into every camera in the world and follow and watch everybody. In fact, it begins, you're being watched. The government has a machine, blah, 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 blah. And um, this, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's like I'm a 007 kind of thing. Um, but um, I think in episode three, there's this, there's this woman, uh, her name is Root, and um, she worships this machine. And it's really interesting. I mean, I've seen so many illustrations of idolatry in this movie and in this in this program. Um, I think as I watch it, there are so many scenes where she sits and waits for to hear from the machine. The machine communicates to her. She's one of the only ones that the machine communicates. And when the machine tells her to do something, she does it with delight. She just loves to do it. And every time I watch it, I think, oh, if we could... I mean, this is just a show. It's just fiction. And, and it's, it's idolatry that's taking place here because the machine's not a god. It's just a computer. She refers to her as a god. She is a god. And that's what she says over and over again. Um, I think to myself, if we could be like this, if we could do this, if we could be like this, we would be perfectly spiritually minded. And when you look at Christ, this is what Jesus is... Um, on about, isn't it? He's always on about the Father. And Jesus reveals um, to us what perfect spiritual mindedness is like. So here is an, a diagnostic question. I gained this insight from John Owen. Um, let us ask ourselves, are we spiritually minded or not? Are we spiritually minded or are we fleshly minded? John Owen, he said one of the best indicators of whether we are spiritually minded or uh, fleshly minded is found in what he called, listen to this, ordinarily voluntary thoughts. <laughs> what in the world are ordinarily voluntary thoughts? Um, what he was saying here is when you're not thinking about anything, when you're just relaxing, you're not preoccupied with a problem. You're not preoccupied with something. You're just relaxing. What does your mind default to? Where does your mind go when you're just left to yourself? John Owen says, that's the indicator of whether you're spiritually mindful or not. Do you go to the things that are above? Do you go to Jesus and his beauty? Or do you go to the things of the world? It's a tough little question, isn't it? It exposes a lot about our hearts. In fact, I think it's probably one of the best diagnostic questions we can ask ourselves. 
It reveals a lot about our spiritual condition. Proverbs 23, verse 7 in the King James translation reads this way. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So to answer this simple question says a lot about our spiritual condition. Our default thoughts and affections expose the conditions of our hearts, doesn't it? Okay. How do we increase our spiritual mindfulness? Because if you're like me right now, you're thinking, boy, I got some work to do on this one. How do we do it? What do we do? Um, Prayerful immersion in, in God through the person of Christ. That's how we do it. That's the human side of it. Prayerful immersion. You remember what I said at the beginning about Owen? He found himself in a season where he felt like he had nothing to offer anyone. And what did he do? Give up? He really didn't expect to really be revived from it in this life. But through prayerful immersion in God's word, on Romans 8, 6, he found grace. And having been blessed to such a degree, he wanted to share it. And had he not shared it, we wouldn't have it today. Nor would his congregation have benefited from it so many years ago. Prayerful immersion in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the, the human side of it. What's the divine side of it? Well, as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes increasingly to the beauty and attributes of God, guess what? We're going to be more spiritually mindful. Why? Because the more beautiful we see Jesus, the more he captivates us, the more God captivates us, the more we're going to be focused on him, isn't it? Okay, I think we're way past the time where that's enough. So let's close right there and we'll come to the table. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this subject. And Father, it's certainly not a subject to listen to for 45 minutes or an hour and then walk away. But Father, I pray that you'll help us to continually be mindful of this subject and that we might continually ask ourselves these diagnostic questions. Father, um, where do our thoughts go when we're left to ourselves? And Father, when we do this, we discover we have so much to do. We have, we, we have such need of your grace. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, by way of the Holy Spirit, you'll work in our hearts and that you'll continually show us Christ continually um, that the Holy Spirit would increase our knowledge of you through Jesus, that we'd see him in his beauty. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, Father, we pray that, Lord, as we come to these elements, Father, you would press upon the reality of the grace that we uh, that we have in this in this holy sacrament, Father, that, Lord, you would open our hearts increasingly to the things of, of, of the spirit, the things that are above that our spiritual mindfulness would be increased, O Father, and that the fleshly mindfulness that's in our hearts would be greatly diminished. And we pray to these ends in Jesus' precious name. Amen.